Are you an engineering leader and tired of constantly being asked, when will it be ready? Stay one step ahead with Linear B's project delivery feature. Our powerful dashboard lets you visualize key milestones, forecast delivery accurately, and align stakeholders effortlessly. With Linear B's product delivery, you can confidently showcase your planning, prioritize work effectively, and even make data-driven cases for additional headcount. Say goodbye to delays and missed milestones. Sign up for Linear B today and answer, when will it be ready, before anyone even asks. Welcome back to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Connor Bronson. I'm delighted to be joined by the esteemed Gene Kim. You may have heard of him, author of The Phoenix Project, The DevOps Handbook, a new book, Wiring the Winning Organization. I just spoke with his co-author, Dr. Steve Spear, and I'm very excited to talk to Gene as well. And then he's also, of course, the program chair for IT Revolution's DevOps Enterprise Summit, uh, founder himself. Gene, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, so good seeing you again. And by the way, I'm dying to ask, uh, what was it like hanging out with Steve for that interview? I love Steve. Yeah. He is he is such a gem. I have to say he's got me kind of convinced on bow ties now. <laughs> um, so it was, it was fascinating learning about your research. Uh, it was great to just kind of chat with him. He's a really cool dude. And I can see why the two of you wrote a great book together. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was so cool because, you know, the question we set out to ask was, well, let me just set the stage a little bit. You know, so I spent, I guess, 23 years studying high-performing technology organizations. And so we know they're the organizations that have the best project duty performance and development. They have the best operational reliability and stability. They have the best posture security and compliance. And, uh, you know, the state of DevOps research we identified yeah. has something to do with their technical practices, their architectural practices, and cultural norms. Uh, and Steven Spear, I mean, he spent uh, 30 years studying, you know, um, the Toyota production system, engine design at Patton Whitney, uh, you know, the safety culture at Alcoa. Submarines, uh, incredible career. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so uh, it was so uh, wonderful that when I met him 10 years ago, you know, this quest that started to emerge was, you know, what is in common between the Toyota production system and right. safety culture and DevOps and Agile and uh, concepts like psychological safety. And it was exhilarating to see that, you know, they are potentially all incomplete expressions of a far greater whole. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, it is. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever worked on. Really, there was one point in the book where, uh, you know, I, I almost quit oh. <laughs> yeah, because. Um, uh, should I tell you what? Please, yeah, yeah that's a great story. So uh, it was about a year ago, and we're just. I, I thought we were at a point where we were very stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a, a theory that you know we knew it had to be you know three things: slowification, simplification, and amplification. But we couldn't come up with a, a simple model to really mm. demonstrate all three uh, principles. It felt too hard to boil down. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and so uh, I, I told my wife, uh, I'm going on a walk and I'm not coming back until uh, you know, we have something. And so six miles later, I, I'm pretty convinced I'm not smart enough uh, <laughs> that I don't understand software development enough. And I try to come up with these kind of much simpler scenarios like movie theater operations. But, you know... Uh, Realize that I don't understand movie theaters well enough for that. How about how about restaurant operations? Like I don't understand restaurants well enough. And uh, yeah, it was a very uh, it was a kind of a one can manage a sort of distressing moment where you started something three years ago and you might not be able to finish it yeah. <laughs> because if you can't explain it. You don't understand it. And um, uh, you know, luckily, you know, I think that that's when the notion of uh, uh, using this vignette. Uh, that we had written, you know, a year before around, you know, Steve and Gene moving a couch together, right. to be expended to, oh, Steve and Gene, you know, being asked to, move, you know, help their spouses renovate a uh, an old hotel, right? So they have to do, you know, remove the furniture from room, paint the room, and bring the furniture back in. 
Right. And uh, it just, it was just so exciting because uh, I was like, oh yeah, we can, we can use that to show how even having just two functional specialties, right? Doing, you know, uh, not the most complex activity can be thoroughly screwed up, you know, if you, uh, you know, organize them wrong. Uh, yeah. And so it was just uh, uh, even more exciting when, you know, I in a 30 minute call with Steve, he instantly got it. And, and so it was like, ah, that's a wonderful yeah. moment. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so it's been a, it's been such a fun adventure. And, uh, my genuine hope is that this will not just resonate with technology leaders, that they'll find something instantly familiar, right? This is right. a recast, like everything that we've learned over the past many decades about like how to do great software well. Uh, but it also resonate with manufacturing leaders, you know, people doing bio research. And so I, I find that something, I find that to be, uh, just a, a wonderful hope that, you know, that's when I've created a common language to talk about, you know, how we talk about systems and leading systems. Steve talked about this in a very similar way. He's felt like it was a kind of culmination of this, you know, decades of work the two of you have done. So it's, it's very cool to hear you kind of view it similarly of like, I've had a lot of the pieces and now I have kind of this grand unifying theory of how to build high performing teams. Totally. And uh, I, I love this quote, uh, you know, anyone can make the uh, simple be complex. You know, it takes, it's a lot harder to take something complex and really uh, prove to yourself that yeah. it is something simple. And so maybe I can, uh, instead of talking in the abstract, uh, how about how we talk about in the concrete? Let's do it. Yeah, there's like, what essentially it's saying there's three mechanisms to create great performance. It, it, and you cannot, you know, create great performance without, you know, all three. Uh, well, <laughs> well uh, it's for, much harder, at least. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so the first is slowification. And, you know, the, the, that word uh, we made up because there's no word in English uh, that we were able to find after asking GPT-4, like, you know, 100 candidates. Yeah. There's no word to sort of capture this concept of like slow down to speed up or, you know, you know, stop sawing to sharpen the saw or, you know, mm-hmm. slow, smooth, smooth is fast. I guess the Germans do. <laughs> but, uh, of but, course uh, the Germans have a word it, for it. It didn't fit on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, in our world, you know, we know this as like, you know, Amazon game days or like, you know, uh, you know, when or chaos monkeys, you know, to, to perform brilliant under uh, in production, uh, to be able to handle that with resilience and ease actually takes a lot of planning and preparation. And so the uh, classic stories in uh, April 2011, you know, the first AWS East outage where, you know, uh, essentially AWS's largest availability zone goes down. That's where they put all the customers, you know, most of the big customers go down except for Netflix, which is very confusing because Netflix was running entirely in the Amazon cloud. How did they uh, not go down? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that led to the famous Netflix blog post, you know, that described how they did it. And essentially there's really two uh, design decisions they revealed. One was, you know, as they migrated out of data centers in, ni- in 2009, uh, they could have no single point of failures. And their largest single point of failure risk was AWS. Mm, <laughs> they, 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 I think they even say, you know, uh, they will never be there when we need the most. Mm. And so that led to the development of Chaos Monkey, you know, which randomly kills compute instances in the cloud, right? And yeah. uh, it kills services in the middle of the day. And so developers got very good at uh, fixing those issues. And so no, no wonder that uh, when that availability zone went down, you know, Netflix services uh, still still ran. So that's an example of slowification. You don't want to, you know, if you're doing all your learning in production environments to have high consequence that you can't undo actions, it's impossible to learn, right? So you have to do it in the most more safer environments of, you know, planning, preparation. So simplification, uh, so that first one really makes problems easier to solve. The, the simplification is all about how to make the problems itself simpler uh, so that uh, we can solve them easier. And uh, same, same concept in mathematics, right? Where it's like, okay, 
this fraction is large. Let's break it down so we can make this a little easier for people. Oh, totally, totally right. Let's separate like terms. And uh, there's all these yeah. things we can do to sort of get our heads around the problem. Uh, that's a great example. I've never heard that example. That, that's exactly... You're welcome. That can be the next book. Oh, just, please. Just full <laughs> credit if you don't mind. Yeah. And I think what's exciting about that is that uh, in our space, you know, the what that should bring to mind is the state of DevOps research finding where we found yes. that one of the top predictors of performance is you know, to what degree can teams, is architecture, to what degree can teams work independently of each other without a lot of fine-grained communication and coordination? And not just technical architecture, but people architecture oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. Right, the socio-technical system, uh, without a doubt. And so uh, the classic example of that is in Amazon, you know, the uh, what they started off with two categories of products, books and music. By 2004, they have 35 how many are we at now? <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, uh, you know, how difficult it was to get things done, yeah. right? Uh, if you were uh, one of those 35 product teams and you had to deal with uh, the product page team, the ordering team, the shopping cart team, the uh, returns team, right? And then you have every team connected together and to get even small things done required a huge amount of coordination. Yeah. And so uh, uh, Dr. Werner Vogel, CTO at the time, he said, in fact, I, <laughs> I just only learned about this quote a year ago, despite reading this paper 10 years ago. He said there was this absurd situation where Amazon uh, Digital, so that was video and Kindle, to fulfill uh, an order, they had to provide a, a physical shipping address. Uh, and, which, and there was no way around it. So, uh, you know, they had to go to, according to this article, right, uh, uh, those teams had to go to 60 different ordering teams and say, could you please give us an alternate, you know, order path? And they're like, mm. did budget for it? You're out of luck, right? So they were stuck. And so... That was the real genesis behind, oh, and then the fact that they couldn't deploy code anymore, right? That, you know, most deployments didn't finish yeah, because something went wrong. In Bit of a challenge. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, of course, that led to the $1 billion re-architecture of Amazon and those APIs, which separated them into modules that can now work independently. They can independently de develop, deploy value to customers. That whole concept of just having APIs run everything with an Amazon has really yep. enabled them to scale like they have. And it's interesting that the first two examples you bring up are both related to Amazon because it shows the depth and the success they've had at building a very high-performing organization and scaling it across the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, there's, uh, there's two things that they did brilliantly that modularization allows. It uh, allows uh, the reduction of design time coupling so that you know, those teams can do what they need to do without Communicating, coordinating with, you know, the 60, 100 other, uh, or now thousands right, of other We have teams. an API for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as I don't change the API, right, no, I don't need to coordinate with anybody. And then, uh, as you mentioned, right, uh, they reduced or eliminated runtime coupling. I can scale my service without having to scale everybody else as well. So it turns out that is one of the three ways you simplify systems. And there's something equivalent that you do with sequential processes, like the Toyota production system. Each one of them enable independence of action. Dependency so, reduction. Yeah. Uh, dependency reduction, exactly. And the benefit is that I can do what I need to do without having to get permission from 35 different other people. So creating autonomy within the organization. Yes. And the ability to then execute, which again, there's other research that's been yeah. shown that when someone feels like they can be impactful, they do better work too. Another indicator here. Oh, absolutely. And it allows them to get more faster, more direct feedback on their work. Right. Great point. Um, absolutely. So all those things come from modularity. We're seeing this all add up, these little steps that then like start to compound together. Yeah. And I know there's a third dimension as well that you mentioned. Yeah. In fact, you know what? Maybe just to, you just reminded me. So that linearization, right? The, the uh, cousin uh, or the orthogonal cousin of modularity is the Toyota production system, but that's also CICD, 
when you line up sequential activities like requirements to dev, to test, to deployment, to ops. Oh, <laughs> let's yeah. simplify the friction points all along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's tie them together, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that uh, we don't do large batches and have to open up tickets. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could uh, l- automate, linearize, and then yeah. automate those processes so that we can get single piece flow through the systems? Yeah, exactly right. Well, I was just talking to Dr. Andre Martin uh, about his book and how his viewpoint is also like when we have these situations, we are freeing up cognitive loads so people can do their best work. And I, I see that same uh, theme in your research. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think, think what's really exciting to me is that Dr. Nicole Forsgren was uh, here. She presented uh, on uh, her research. And what I love is that the concepts in Wiring the Winning Organization, they line up right with the state of DevOps research find the door because linearization is all what allows us to get fast deployment lead time because you can't deploy within minutes or multiple deployments a day if every deployment requires threading your work through you know thirty five hundred different steps across sixty different teams <laughs> yeah and of which maybe the testing step will take six weeks right can't be done right so uh, linearization should also be familiar yeah. uh, to of technologies. And these are all important, like, sub-concepts of that simplification thing you talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you were mentioning the amplification, the third one. Uh, right. Right. The notion is that in any system, when something goes wrong, you want to be able to generate the signal, the transmit it, receive it, and then mm-hmm. hopefully have someone react to it, right? Right. And then solve the problem. And uh, uh, this should be familiar to us in technology. It should remind us of production telemetry, yeah. right? You got to see the problem. Also <laughs> continuous learning. Continuous save learning. Let's find the problem. Let's keep going on it. Totally. Yeah. Iterations. Iteration, you're right. Because once we see a problem, we want to fix the problem. Uh, we want to be able to, uh, you know, in any complex activity, it helps to see what's going on, yeah. right? And helps us confirm that what you actually did resolve the issue. Uh, in, f- in fact, for that matter, uh, it also reminds me of, now that you mentioned it, uh, like putting developers on rotation, just like ops people, right? Because Got to share the pain or, you know, you got to share the learning. Share yeah. the learning. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. So how should I construct my team then? How do I wire that winning organization? Great. I have these concepts. How do I apply them? Oh, yeah, that's a great. That's a really great question. And, you know, I think I think uh, it defies easy explanation. But I, I think we know when it will work or when it won't. I, I think we sort of simplify it down enough. So let's let's say DevOps. Configure it one way where uh, dev does all their work and hands it over, throws it over the wall to ops. <laughs> and the only way that uh, ops can talk to dev is if there's a live seven outage and you have a ticket number. And the only way that uh, ops can talk to dev is uh, if there's a project code. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, that is just not our winning recipe because the communication channels between dev and ops are so few and thin that it's just, hopeless to transmit enough data, you know, to get the system to work as a whole. I mean, does that resonate with you? It absolutely does. And I mean, there's plenty of research that shows that when there is high degrees of communication and feedback, the quality improves. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this absolutely resonates. Yeah. And I think uh, the the metaphor that we use for that is uh, to try to educate leaders on that is uh, it's like Steve and Gene moving a couch. And it's just a metaphor for how we do joint problem solving and joint cognition. And so uh, one might think that moving a couch is all brawn work and there's no brain work. But uh, when Steve and Gene move a couch together, there's actually... get it through the door. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Where's the center of gravity? How do you get down the stairs? Who goes first? 
I, I was actually telling Steve when I was younger, I had to help a cousin of mine yeah. move and we realized we couldn't get the couch out down the stairs and we had to actually hoist it off the roof oh, to get yeah. it out of the building. So I'm like, yeah, there's, there's absolutely some complications that come in here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and as leaders, uh, you know, there's all these things that we can do to make it harder for Steve and Gene to move his couch. Right. We can put in a ticketing system. Uh, we mm. can put in like, uh, we can prevent them from talking directly to each other. We can turn off the lights uh, you know, so they can't see what they're doing. We can uh, put in a lot of background noise, right? So they can't hear each other. So they can't communicate and coordinate. Okay. So that maybe the background noise would be inefficient systems that don't flow well, to, to your example earlier yeah. about CICD systems and trying to create this linear flow. Oh, totally, totally. And, and so... Uh, the reason why the first system doesn't work well, the reason why I think we were able to say, oh, that doesn't work well because Devin and they're trying to move a couch together, but they're not actually allowed to talk to each other. And so, you know, when we do things like uh, co-locating them together, having a liaison of ops into the dev teams you know, and vice versa, you know, these are now much closer to Steve and Gene moving a couch together. Right. Because there's actually joint problem solving going on. Uh, how am I doing? Does that resonate with you? No, that, that definitely resonates. And it reminds me of an example Steve gave about Toyota and, yeah. and their efforts to ensure that simplify as much as possible so that individual workers on a production line can focus their ener energies on key tasks instead of, you know, worrying about these other contextual pieces that yeah. it's like, hey, we've already figured the context. We've figured out the flow. Yeah. Let's free you up to do what you do best. And I think it's the same thing, whether you're a writer, whether you're an engineer, it's like, okay, let's make the systems that work for you as easy as possible. You know, some people mention AI here. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll throw it as a buzzword. Got to do it once in the, in the talk. Uh, and then we're going to free you up to focus on what you're most creative at, what your problem solving, your strategy, these things that give you depth. And as a leader that this really speaks to is like, so much of your focus should be, how do I make it easier for and resonant for everyone around me to do their job, to feel passion and, and to go deliver? That is amazing. I, I, I Double, triple underscore that. What I learned in this book is that the job of the leader is to ensure that everyone can do their work easily and well. Yeah. And you can thoroughly screw that up by, you know, not having enough time slack in the system because that means you're not slowifying. Every mistake is being made in production when you can't learn. Or you've organized a system so that, you know, no one can move a couch together. Yeah. Or maybe to get things done, you have to open up tickets with 35 different teams. That is the opposite of easy and well. Or if uh, you create a system that somehow suppresses or extinguishes entirely important signals, <laughs> uh, like weak failure signals, right? Uh, as opposed to amplifying them and acting on them directly. So I found that to be very satisfying. I love the way you phrase that. Yeah. Honestly, I, I take a lot of inspiration just from what I've read of your book so far and uh, my interview with Steve of this conversation around social circuitry and the idea of how do we program the the society we live in and particularly like our organization to to work better and i i think that's a it's such an impactful concept i'm, I'm i already told my producers i'm gonna be repeating this for the next <laughs> year they're gonna get tired of me hearing me say it it's so difficult to argue against yeah. and what i what i'm hoping that people reading the book will give them a language uh to be able to say no uh, my leadership has not made it easy uh for me to do my work easily and well and uh, there's got to be it's either one of three things has gone wrong <laughs> Uh, and, uh, what I hope it gives leaders is especially ones that uh, come from a technology background or are engineers, the same theories and intuitions and experience that helped us build great technical systems are actually perfect for us to think about, you know, the socio part of the socio-technical system. Oh yeah. Okay. So system design, either way, like architecture design, yeah. but also applying that same thinking, breaking things down to components. Again, understanding that we, we try to simplify 
amplify the key pieces so people can spend more time on key tasks versus less time in, you know, status meetings, for yeah. example. hundred percent. In fact, uh, can I, can I, uh, Please. That up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I love the way you talk to that, like, a, like an architect, right? When Steve and Gene are, uh, moving a couch together, they are coupled, mm. right? What affects Gene affects Steve, vice versa. But it means that, uh, they are coupled together and there are, t- there are times when we want lots of coupling, like, you know, uh, when you want dev and ops pairing together because you want that incredible flow of information to be as wide and uh, fast as possible. The problem is, uh, is that in order to make a change, involve both Steve and Gene, <laughs> right? So that's great, but it can get to a point where you have 35, uh, imagine a couch that 35 people are attached to and none of the 35 <laughs> can do anything uh, and they've lost independence of action. Uh, so yeah, the autonomy piece we kind of alluded exactly. to earlier. So maybe it's time to divide up the couch, right? Without destroying it, right? But somehow re-architect it so that, you know, maybe it's 35 smaller couches. And wh- what are the pieces that can actually, you know, be done independently of each other? And the benefit of that is independence of action. Uh, so the other thing that we can get wrong, uh, what we got wrong in that part is that when we are overly coupled to the organization, not only does anyone have independence of action, uh, but we waste a lot of time. You're listening to things that have nothing relevant to you. <laughs> uh, small things require, you know, vast amounts of effort to get everyone's permission. And then, you know, it's not just get permission. You have to schedule together, prioritize together, worst case, deploy together. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you can probably see me shaking my head right now. I think you know some examples of when I've dealt with uh, similar concepts before. <laughs> this is really wonderful. I love the the way you have broken this down mm-hmm. into uh, these like simple explanations that then build outwards into real life scenarios people are dealing with. Are there other key concepts from the book that you want to highlight for our audience? You know, I have a, a super fun example that actually a group Perfect. of people came up with that I just fell in love with. Imagine a fictitious telco that okay. the, the most important thing that they could do is just present a checkbox to the 30 million customers that would allow them to opt in to like a $5 a month service for email, watch movies, et cetera. The problem is that it has to cross 40 different teams across four different customer channels, digital, store, support, filling, and it will require CEO minus one support. Uh, it requires daily war room meetings and uh, it will take about nine months. Estimate is about $20 million. And, <laughs> and most people think it will have a 20% chance of success why? Because it didn't work the last two times we tried. <laughs> it doesn't sound ideal. Like the, the nice concept, but yeah, okay. And what's awesome about this example is that it's not because it's technically challenging, right? It's because somehow the organization is wired wrong to make it almost impossible to get this work done. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a great example of, uh, it just so vividly shows how we can easily create systems where to get small things done, require like superheroic efforts because the coordination cost is so high. And these coordination costs often become even more and more impactful as organizations scale yeah. too, because, you know, when you're a startup, maybe you're 20 people working in the, you know, one office together, you're, you're all fired up about the idea, you're passionate. It's easier to ignore these coordination costs because you're, it's a smaller group, there's less people you have to talk to. Um, but as organizations start to grow, it's, it's so crucial that you think about these concepts and ensure you're being intentional about them because you know, by that like hundred person mark can definitely be on once you're getting in the thousands. Yeah. Uh, there can be such a tax on coordination within your organization if you're not careful. Yeah. And in fact, one of the more moving 
parts of the book was uh, showing the examples outside of technology. But there was a section that Steve wrote about how when one of his daughters was six years old and uh, got in an accident on the playground, mm. had to go to the hospital. And so uh, they show up into the ER and it takes hours to get through the paperwork. Uh, it takes hours to get the x-ray done. Uh, they show up oh, and it turns out they initially were going to x-ray the wrong arm. Oh, uh, no. And they, uh, uh, they, because of a supply chain problem, they can't get a fiberglass cast. And so it has to be a plaster cast, which you have to keep dry. And to make the follow-up appointment, they had to call an outside line, uh, which they had to find on their own, right? And so this was an example of like a miswired ER. And, uh, you know, it, it reminded me, and I wrote right after that, that uh, my dad had a stroke. It was something uh, very similar. Uh, I was met with the uh, neurologist just to try to get an understanding of like uh, what was happening. And so when he got moved out of the intensive care unit, they, they, did, the, they did the rounds. So this is the, uh, the, uh, the physicians, the... Uh, specialists, the, you know, the nursing staff, uh, the social worker, and uh, they're trying to make a decision about, like, should we put them on blood thinners or not? Hmm. And they couldn't make a decision until they got the, uh, uh, the MRI images. And so uh, I said, is it this image? And I showed the image I took the previous night. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, and they decided to put them on uh, blood thinners right away. But it was just another example where people didn't have what they needed at the right time. Systems issues, yeah. it seems like. And it's not a technical issue so much as uh, the organization was miswired yeah. to get the right information to the right people. And that must be such a challenge in healthcare in particular because, I mean, you you know your decisions can affect lives yeah. so in, so deeply. And so I'm sure the the idea is, oh, we want to make sure we don't make mistakes. And there's also, of course, massive you know issues with, we're going to get sued for this malpractice. But... Because that, I'm sure, has seeped into the entire ethos of the system, other pieces of organization, the organizational design that could ease up the friction points so that people can focus on those key decisions. Like, it sounds like those are breaking down. Can I offer you a less generous interpretation? Sure. Uh, that this is actually a DevOps problem in a different context. Okay. But, uh, in other words, what would happen if, uh, you know, to change a medication on a patient bedside, I required uh, going up eight levels in the nursing chain, and then down eight to pharmacy. Probably never change the medication, <laughs> that's for sure. Or, or like uh, to, you know, to, uh, to uh, change uh, the type of uh, gloves used, has to go up eight levels to chief operating officer and then down eight levels to uh, supply chain. Right, so it reminds me so much of like, oh, in order to dev, to get important information to ops, they have to escalate through the VP of uh, development to the CIO, down to the VP of operations, down to uh, a line ops person. Or by getting a headache. So it is eerily similar, yeah. right? And so, uh, yes, everything that you said is true, but in no way, uh, I would say, excuses, you know, that the healthcare leader from allowing people to do their work easily and well. And I think we've sort of helped uh, create this incredible body of knowledge in the DevOps community, uh, but you could take those same concepts, apply them to yeah, so many different domains that we talk about in the book. And it's, to me, that's just so satisfying yeah. that, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, uh, you know, uh, DevOps is leading the way. And you know, my hope is that through the book, other domains will see how those same principles and patterns can be applied to their work as well. And in many cases, in situations where it really matters. I'd love to talk a bit about those principles because... You know, we're here at DevOps Enterprise yeah. Summit in Las Vegas, the center of so much information and research. You know, uh, Dora's report, which just came out today, which uh, Linear B is proud to partner with, is, uh, you know, one great one. Uh, we just put our benchmarks report and Nicole Forsgren's work at GitHub and Microsoft, some really fascinating signal, 
Sonotype's got a new report yeah. out. All this incredible data and information is coming out. What are the trends and extensions of the DevOps spirit and the improvements that you see coming over the next couple of years? Yeah, it's such a fun time to be in the game. Oh, hey, let's, no let's throw, we got thrown some AI in there, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. Second mention, second mention. Yeah, see how many more I get. Right, it's, it's incredible to see just how much the world is changing. Yeah. And uh, in, in sort of all aspects of technology. So my main reaction is like, wow, what a great time to be in the game. Amen. Uh, I guess the downside is, is that um, it's hard to expect everyone to read them all, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> so I think the one thing I think about is it does describe how all this new knowledge is creating a need for more functional specialists. We can't expect everyone to know everything. And so the reason why we have movers and painters is to allow them to, you know, specialize roles. Right. And uh, you know, I think the great um, breakthrough in Adam Smith's pin factory in the 1700s was that, you know, if we can have division of labor, allow specialization, I think it was like a two order of magnitude or three order of magnitude difference in terms of how many pins you can generate per day. And, and so uh, we want specialization, you know, platforms, SREs, metrics, observability, I mean, containers, Kubernetes. <laughs> this is, no one can read all the documentation in, in, the, in their lifetime. Sure. Well, that's what the AI is for. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, and I think it just says as technology leaders, uh, our work is getting more difficult. Yeah. Right. So we're not talking about two silos. We're talking about maybe eight silos, 20 silos. Um, so now you're going to be working with your best friends in data and AI and ML and MLOps. Yes, we are. <laughs> so uh, it is even more challenging and necessary for the leader to create that layer three organizational wiring, the social circuitry, so that everyone across all these vast functional specialties can all do their work easily and well and achieve uh, the, the goal. I, I love this perspective you have where like we have such an opportunity here, but there are risks, as you point out, because... If we fail to think about simplification of organizations, how our organizations are flowing, if we fail to modularize, uh, there's problems that we can Oh, in fact, Patrick Dubois gave a, gave a great presentation on day one. And it was a real life experience report uh, of you know him uh, trying to bring AI-enabled capabilities uh, to market as the VP of engineering. Um, and it was so fun because it's a fast-moving field. Uh, the tools aren't all there yet. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, the division of responsibility is not yet well known. Uh, and one of the things he talked about was the need for the data people to get way right, right? It's uh, yeah. they need to be seeing what's, uh, it's not just about seeing the measurements and telemetry in production. They have to have better uh, telemetry to see the quality of the answers. Is it toxic? Is it uh, something that we don't want to be uh, displaying? Um, yeah, so this is yet another place where we need to close the feedback loop. Yeah. And all of it, I found uh, one wildly entertaining because it's so technically challenging. You know, yes. he's so much on the frontier and yet, uh, and it's exposing these other problems that uh, force us to get the benefit of AI. You know, we need to solve. And this is exciting for me to, you know, see this community solving them. Gene, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I'd love to close. Let's tell folks, wh where can they find your book? Oh, yeah. Just uh, Google for Wiring the Winning Organization. You can order the book uh, anywhere and, and the retailer of your, your favorite retailer. Perfect. Well, we are very excited to, to read it. I'm glad I got an advanced copy. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, Gene. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, my gosh. So good to see you again. And uh, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for this. <laughs>